It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You may have written him off as someone who isn't going to make it, but Will Benson showed why he fits right in on this team and what they are striving for on Wednesday night. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen of the day. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we are free and available on all podcasting platforms because we are your team every day. I'm Stephen Offenbaker, and he's Jeff Carr, and we are diehard baseball fans. We have a passion for the Cincinnati Reds. We have taken our love of the game, our passion for baseball, and we have turned that passion into information for you. We want to thank those of you who listen every day. If you are an everydayer, let us know down in the comment sections on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter. Tell us how long you've been a Reds fan, how long you've been listening. We would love to talk baseball with you. On today's podcast, we are going to be talking about these comeback Reds as they walked it off for a second night in a row against the Los Angeles Dodgers. The pitching, however, has been a roller coaster, and we will talk about what's been good and what hasn't been good and what can be done to kind of take uh, some corrective action. Uh, Many of you have been asking out loud if the Reds should explore some trades to go for it right now and win this division. Jeff and I will discuss that as well. But before we get into any of that, I want to shout out the sponsor of today's podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB. And when you enter the promo code locked on MLB, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. And let me tell you, those things are nice. All right, Jeff, let's dive right into this thing. For the second night in a row, the Reds walked it off against the Los Angeles Dodgers. They have already secured a series win, the first series win at home against the Dodgers since 2018. Uh, it's a big day out at the ballpark we we talked about the the weirdness of what it has been for the reds and the dodgers here as the reds hadn't beat the dodgers since 2021 and now all of a sudden they got a chance to sweep them and and they just underscored the amazing grit the talent that these guys have the reds roster is full of young players in fact it's the second youngest roster in major league baseball to the cleveland guardians and every single player on this team doesn't know what they don't know about failure. They have done this amazing thing right now, Steve, they are second in major league baseball in comeback wins this year. They got 19 of them. Joey Votto, number 19. Hmm. Wonder if there's something there anyway, probably not, but still that's an amazing number to see. And the way that they were able to do it in this game was eerily reminiscent of the way that they did it on Tuesday, because as soon as the Dodgers went up, the Reds, they fought back right with another counterpunch, and it was a big one. It was definitely a big one. Let's let's talk about a few things that happened in this game, Jeff. And, of course, where everybody wants to start, the talk of the town, that is Ellie De La Cruz. Yes. He, uh, in his second professional game, he's got his first career home run. It went 458 feet, exit velocity of 114 miles per hour, making it. Wait, wait, say that again. 114 that makes it boom 
the hardest hit ball by any member of the Reds this year, uh, breaking his previous record of 112 from yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) So two-run game-time homer, Jeff. Uh, Ellie blasted the ball. You know, I told you a couple different times while we were recording, I have said that I thought he was going to be the first person to hit a ball on the fly into the river. I want to tell you that this home run landed in the top row of the right field bleachers. He didn't miss exiting the ballpark by very much at all. No, and, and it was interesting because they were talking to a couple of different players about what they have seen from Ellie De La Cruz these past couple of days. And one of the thing, one of the players that they talked to a lot about this was Tyler Stevenson. And he's like, you know, I didn't get the chance to play with him in the minors. So this is my first taste of Ellie. And during batting practice, one of his final swings, he hit the smokestacks out there in center field. He's like, I don't think anybody's done that yet. Who is this guy? And and, I mean, he shows the power 458 feet, absolute bomb. And he knew it. Everybody knew it. The moment that that bat hit the crack and and there was somebody there in the stands, um, a friend of mine that said they heard it and they're like, I've never heard anything like this. It is so loud. And just the, the bomb that it was, but then he also showed off the other part of his talent, which was his speed. And he got the triple 10.83 seconds for him to run from home to third. I'm telling you what I think in 10.83 seconds, I might get halfway down the line just in time for somebody to hand me a beer. I don't think I'm getting anywhere near third. No, sir. Neither one of us would get from the on deck circle to the batter's box in 10.83 seconds. Where let's who are we kidding? Listen, we're going to have a new a new terminology. We're going to have to invent a new phrasing when we talk about what Ellie De La Cruz does on the base pass. We talk all the time about hustle doubles, about guys that round first and are able to hustle and stretch a single into a double. I don't recall us ever talking about a hustle triple, and that is exactly what but we're going to be talking about every time Ellie De La Cruz puts the ball in play. He was looking for the triple. And it's interesting because he was asked after the game, were you looking for a triple on Tuesday night whenever he ended up with a double? And he said, yeah, I was kind of bummed because it was pretty obvious I was going to get thrown out if I go to third. But I was definitely, he's like, I'm always looking for a triple. And Steve, it's not that easy to hit a triple in Great American Ballpark. That outfield ain't very big. It's not like a cavernous. Can you imagine if this dude was hitting line drives at Fenway? He'd have inside the park home runs easy. But just the talent that Ellie has on display and and the wow factor. I mean, the hype was real. He is worth the hype. And, and we got to look at this because this is something um, that really when it comes down to it, I, I, I love – the thought about this because Ellie De La Cruz is kind of now a guy that the the national writers, the the people who talk about baseball for every publication have their eyes on him. Fans from every team have their eyes on him. Heck, I, I remember when he struck out looking in this game, the camera showed the Dodgers fans over on the third baseline and they were jumping up and down like they just won the game because they got this guy out. And I love what David Bell said after the game when it comes to Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, that's exactly it. You know, you just want to watch Ellie play the game. And, I, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to put anything on him. We don't want to um, label anything. We just want to watch him do his thing and be Ellie De La Cruz. And that's, uh, that's all he needs to do. Because he's a great, great kid, um, very respectful, loves to play the game. And um, we're just going to let him go do his thing. 
I don't know about you, but that sounds like the right dude to be Ellie De La Cruz's manager. No, I, I think so, 100%. I think he's the right manager for all of these young players that are coming up. And speaking of all of these young players, Jeff, for the second night in a row, there's another rookie that got to play hero. And it's a rookie that we may have written off a little bit. I know um, I'm guilty of it. Uh, a lot of us are guilty of it. And that is Will Benson. Will Benson hits the two-run homer to win the game. It was a no-doubter to right yeah. field. You could see the emotion. You could see the relief. You could see the excitement just pouring out of Will Benson as he rounded the bases. Uh, I, I was happy to see it. And uh, little-known fact, little-known stat, this was the first time since 1907 that rookie teammates have hit their first home runs on the same night for the red. 1907. I think I remember that year. Um, no, I don't. That was a really long time ago, <laughs> over a hundred years ago. That's an amazing stat. And look, I get it. And, and you, you have made fun of me to no end that I am like on a push cart on the tracks, trying to push along the Will Benson hype train here, but this man delivered a beautiful bomb. And I'm not saying that he's all the way here. He hasn't broke out just quite yet, but I love this stat. And it's something that our friend at Reds friend at, at Reds fan, Brandon, how about I talk on Twitter tweeted out. And if you look at the statistics for uh, Will Benson, up until he was sent down, he had a contact rate of 62%. So every time he was swinging, only 62% of those swings made contact with the baseball. Since he's been called back up from that AAA stint, May 21st, and this is just up to last night, he has an 84.8% contact rate, over 20% increase. Dude's kind of figured something out a little bit, and he was asked about just the emotion because that home run that he hit, it was a no-doubter that he knew right off the bat was gone, and dude turned around. Hey, I loved the reaction that Will Benson had, and he was asked about that reaction in the postgame. And it was dope, too, I mean, because you turn and you look, and everybody's already coming out of the dugout, so... Yeah, that, that was pure. It's just you, you play with, with raw emotion, play with everything you have, and then when you obviously um, succeed, especially in that in that light, you know, you, you, it just overcomes you. It's not something I'm like intentionally trying to do. You know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I'm there, and I did it. You know? And it wasn't even like a bat flip. It was a like fist pump, jumping up and down, bat chuck on the ground. It was a gronk slam of a baseball bat into the ground. Like I loved it. And it was Will Benson just saying, look, I got this. Sorry, I lost you for just a second there, Jeff, having a bit of a technical difficulty. Sorry. Got you back though. Uh, I didn't catch that last part, but I know we're running out of time on this segment and we would be remiss if we didn't take just a minute and talk about Tyler Stevenson, Yeah, because this is a guy that we've been waiting to break out. And while his numbers are still, not quite where we want them to be over the course of the last three days, he has doubled his home run total and he was in on the action and helped pulling the reds back into this game and helping them be in a position to go ahead and walk it off once again. And he was asked a little bit about his performance after the game. And this is what he had to say. Yeah. Uh, day by day, just continuing to, uh, to get better. And, um, been obviously putting in a lot of work, um, pregame and postgame and, uh, yeah, it's baby steps and it's a long process and can't get content in this game and just got to keep continuing getting better. Yeah, I mean, it, it was great to see you get a two-run homer, you get a two-run homer, you get a two-run homer. 
And it was a great night at the ballpark for your Cincinnati Reds because they still got that comeback mentality. This team has no quit in it. But you know what, Steve? The comeback was set up by some bad pitching. And in fact, the Reds now have won two games against the Los Angeles Dodgers, and they've allowed 14 runs in those two games. But it's all been from one kind of pitching. We'll get to that here in a minute as we look at what the Reds pitching staff uh, looks like right now and what's going right and what's going wrong. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bird Dog. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bird Dogs. Look, if you want to look good and feel good, get yourself some Bird Dog shorts. You can go from the pool to the ballpark to a date and not have to change your shorts at all. Plus, they've got the amazing slim fit look. I'm always hearing that my legs look very good in Bird Dog shorts, and yours will too. You got to check them out today. You go to birddogs.com slash MLB and use the promo code LOCKEDONMLB for a free tumbler with every purchase. Seriously, I'm a guy that loves his shorts, but I love them to be comfortable too. You don't want those restrictive cotton shorts or the kind of khakis that just absolutely suffocate your legs. Bird Dogs is the best of everything. Comfort, looks, and convenience. Check them out today, birddogs.com slash MLB, and use that promo code LOCKEDONMLB for a beautiful Yeti-style tumbler. That's birddogs.com slash MLB. Reds and the Dodgers are back for game three of the series. Uh, it's 12.35, depending on when you're watching or listening to this. The game might already be going on, but hey, 12.35, and you've got Graham Ashcraft on the mound against one of the all-time greats in Clayton Kershaw. Interesting opportunity for the Reds to maybe sweep here, but Clayton Kershaw might have something to say about that. Uh, that's uh, You can catch every pitch of the Reds' hometown broadcast on SiriusXM. Just download the SXM app and search Reds. And thanks, as always, for making Locked On Reds your first listen every day. Every day is coming up on the show tomorrow. Big time weekend series as we head to St. Louis. And Ellie De La Cruz gets his first taste of Bush Stadium. What number are we on here? 17, 24. Who cares? Whatever. We're going to be real creative with it. the naming down there. Yeah, we're going to talk about how the Reds uh, shape up in this series. But, Steve, one of the big things for this series and one of the huge things for this final game of the Dodgers series is going to be pitching because you're talking about a guy in Graham Ashcraft who has shown some great stuff and he's shown some really bad stuff here recently going up against an all-time great in Clayton Kershaw. But what Graham Ashcraft's really trying to do right now is buck the trend of some really bad starting pitching that the Reds have seen lately. It has been really bad. There's been a few really great starts sprinkled in there, but as a whole, there are some problems with this starting rotation. And it's really disappointing because if you go back to the offseason and spring training, that was really the area that you and I thought we could count on the most. We yeah. were trying to figure out all the other things, and we thought the starting pitching would be solid. Uh, injuries had dictated something different. Graham Ashcraft, forgetting how to pitch, has dictated something different. Uh, it's been a problem. I went back and pulled the last six starts, and I picked six starts. Starts, Jeff, because right now the Reds have made an, a decision to carry six starting pitchers and short the bullpen. So, so it's important to, to keep that in mind when we talk about what these starting pitchers are doing. If you go back to Hunter Green's last start out in Boston, that was a great start. Six innings pitched, only two hits allowed, one earned run. Beautiful. He struck out eight, he walked three. And here's the key, zero home runs allowed in that game. Right after that, Graham Ash 
Ashcraft took the mound and the wheels came off. He only managed to go four innings. He allowed 10 earned runs. He only struck out two while walking four and he gave up two home runs. Ben Lively in his last start gave up two home runs. Then we get another great start from Abbott. The sixth inning, one hit, zero earned runs, zero home runs. Weaver comes in, 3.2 innings pitch, Jeff, seven earned runs, one home run allowed. And then, of course, Brandon Williamson last night gave up three home runs in five and two-thirds innings. Here's the problem. The Reds, the Reds starting pitchers are giving up too many home runs. They're allowing too many runs to be scored early in the game, and they're relying on this offense to try and bail them out. And while the Reds offense has bailed them out, uh, you can't expect that trend to continue. The other side of this is we're now asking a bullpen that is one man short to cover on average four innings per game with one man down. It's just not the place that this team can build upon and have success if they don't figure out the starting pitching. So that is a that's a broad picture of the problem. Too many home runs, not enough innings being covered. And I don't know how to pinpoint what they can do differently in order to right the ship immediately. Well, an easy answer and, and maybe even an overly optimistic answer is look at two of these five start or two of these six starts and tell me who doesn't belong. Like as much as I love what Ben Lively did in, a in his first couple of starts, like Connor Overton was really good in his first couple of starts as well. Let's not kid ourselves. Ben Lively, I think the best value to this team is out of the bullpen and he could be a very strong long reliever for them. Luke Weaver as well, probably better out of the bullpen. I mean, the Royals had designated him such before a year before the Reds got him. So I, I think you look at those two guys and you say, all right, throw those two starts out. Now, Graham Ashcraft and Brandon Williamson have to be better. But as a rookie, Williamson, we're kind of we're kind of like understanding of these sorts of starts. The fact that he was almost able to go six innings, even with the three homer, six earn run performance that he had is still very key because like you said, the bullpen's getting overtaxed here. I do want to see some improvements from him, but he had talked in the post game how some of his pitches really, he was trying to locate them in a certain spot and then they were drifting over the plate or they were drifting into a spot where Dodgers hitters were just able to clobber them. I mean, eight hits is indicative enough of that. And Ashcraft is a guy that I'm firmly expecting to bounce back here soon. He's just had a really bad run of it lately, a la... Luis Castillo in the past, Hunter Green in the past. I mean, we've seen guys go through this kind of a stretch. I believe that really once we get Nick Lodolo healthy, once we figure out, you know, hopefully this this little bit of a break that they're giving Hunter Green will turn into something bigger and we'll see him back Sunday against the Cardinals. And when you get those guys back and you add Brandon Williamson and, and Andrew Abbott to this rotation, you're going to see a much better starting rotation. I firmly believe, I don't even think it's a hot take, that uh, I firmly believe that the second half of this season, we're going to see almost a 100% a improvement, whatever that might look like, in the starting rotation's performance from where they've been this first half. One of the things that I can't overstate enough, though, Jeff, is the importance of the start that we're going to get from Graham Ashcraft today. He really needs to go out and be successful. And listen, yeah. I'm not saying that the Reds are, are going to go out and sweep with Kershaw on the mound for the Dodgers, but Graham Ashcraft really needs to go above and beyond to keep the Reds in this game. Uh, his last several starts have just been so bad and, and each start getting worse. So, you know, I, I, I want to see his last start be, you know, that 10 inning, 10 earned runs, four innings only in innings pitched. I want that to be where the reset button got pushed. So I'm really looking for him to come out in this start against Kershaw today and do some good things. Because 
we've talked about this and I don't often tell you how right you are. Um, that doesn't happen very often, but when you talked about the perfect scenario of a, a Reds pitching outing, being six innings from a starter followed by being able to run farmer out there for an inning Sims out there for an inning and Diaz out there for an inning, you were spot on. Absolutely right. That's what we've been seeing in those three guys more so than anybody else in the bullpen have really been carrying the load, especially mm -hmm. over the course of the last you know week to two weeks worth of outings. Farmer in the last seven outings has pitched eight innings. He's recorded one save. He's only allowed three hits. He struck out five and walked one. Lucas Sims had a few bad outings, uh, three, four, or five starts, three, four, or five outings back. Since then, he's allowed one hit in his last three outings, striking out three and no walks. I think he's finally figured it out and dial it in. And then, of course, your man, Alexis Diaz. In his last seven outings, he's 1-0, and oh, four saves, seven and a third innings pitched. Check this out, Jeff. 15 strikeouts to four walks. He's only allowed three hits over that time period. And no runs. Like, I mean, just an, an absolutely beautiful performance by those three guys. And even if you want to stretch it out a little bit and say, okay, what happens if that perfect scenario doesn't quite work out? What if Buck Farmer blows up a little bit? Well, you got Ian Jabot that you can throw in there. I think Ian Jabot is in a fantastic role right now, which is middle relief guy, you know, maybe the leader of the B team for the bullpen. And, and I think that that's really kind of starting to build out a very strong uh, squad out there in the pen. And you kind of talk about too, like Tony Santion, I think is probably either in a rehab outing right now, or he's close to a rehab outing. And hopefully he won't have any setbacks this time. And we can see him come back. And eventually you're going to hopefully get TJ Antone back at some point. And I know we're not counting on those guys, but, we're not like I'm, I'm talking about adding them to this mix where they can almost be the the second squad of this bullpen. And, and I think that that would be just absolutely so key for a unit that has been very overtaxed. And it's not even just in the last six starts. It's really to this point in the season. And I hope that, that we're not in entering like, you know, no man's land or the point of no return or zero hour or whatever you want to dramatically label it because this bullpen has just pitched a lot this year and we really need the starting pitching to kind of come around a little bit because kind of like, like, like as, as awesome it as, as it has been to see the lineup do its part and make some glorious, dramatic comebacks that can't happen every single day. There's going to be some days where they get shut down. Hopefully not today, but Clayton Kershaw, the kind of guy that could probably do that. So for the Reds to continue to improve, the starting pitchers all have to really take a step forward. You're, you're absolutely right, Jeff. And I hope that this begins the turning of that corner with Graham Ashcraft today out at Great American Ballpark. But, you know, one way to fix the starting rotation, Jeff, would be to go and bring in a starter via trade. Uh, there's been a lot of clamoring about this. Uh, coming up, you and I are going to discuss whether or not the Reds should make a move to help add to the club and go for it right now and win the division. We're going to talk about that coming up right after this. Reds and the Dodgers get going at 1235 today. Depending on when you're listening to this, it may be going right now. But it's Graham Ashcraft versus Clayton Kershaw in a game that the Reds could ultimately win and sweep the Dodgers. You can catch every pitch of the Reds hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just download the app and search the word 
Reds. You can also follow the podcast on all platforms, including right here on YouTube. Make sure you've clicked subscribe and the notification bell so you never miss an episode. In between shows, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at S. Offenbaker. That's with two Fs. You can follow Jeff at Jeff Carr. That's Jeff with three Fs. And you can follow the show at Locked on Reds. All right, Jeff. I know you've been hearing it. I've been hearing it. I've been getting texts. We've been getting tweets. We've been getting comments down at the ballpark. Some people are talking about it might be time to put a little package deal together and bring in an arm or bring in uh, another player to help improve this team right now today and make a dramatic push to win the division. What do you think? No. And here's why. Because you could make the team better. The, the Reds have one of the best farm systems in all of baseball. So theoretically, for those of us that love a good fantasy baseball scenario, there's plenty of capital to make a trade. Here's the problem. The Reds have built this plan. Nick Kroll has built this plan on a, a kind of a mode of sustainability. We've got the wave of Ellie De La Cruz that's now up, Matt McClain that's now up, Williamson, Abbott, all those guys that have already come up. CES is going to come up at some point this year. We may see Levi Stout for an actual extended period of time at some point. I know that he's currently on the injured list in AAA, but once he comes back healthy, should be up and either part of the bullpen or the rotation or however that shakes out. But that's your first wave. And then you, and really Hunter Green, Nick Lodola, those guys were part of the first wave. So this might even be wave two. Then you've got Noel V. Marte. You've got uh, maybe Connor Phillips is in there. You might even be talking about a long shot of Joe Boyle, whether he's in the rotation or in the bullpen. Um, you're, you're talking about some really interesting guys there. Then you even go deeper. Edwin Arroyo, Cam Collier. It's like a strategy game of waves. And Nick Crawl's just like, I got waves of talent. And you know what? If the first wave doesn't quite pan out, I got the second wave and I got the third wave. And, and everyone's main thought is, this is all I've heard for 30 years, is that the team is just going to have all these prospects that are super good, and then nothing happens. But this is why it's different, because the talent that the Reds have now is far better than they've ever had in their farm system. And if you trade off five to six years of control of a guy who could be a superstar in like a Noel V. Marte or an Edwin Arroyo or a Cam Collier for one to two years of a guy who plugs a hole, then I think you're betraying the plan that Nick Crawl laid out. No, absolutely. Listen, I can't can't be any more adamant about this. They should not trade anybody yeah. right now. They should continue to develop this talent. They should continue to bring people up, build out the major league roster and see where we're at. I keep calling it stumbling into the playoffs, stumbling into winning the, the division. If that is the byproduct of bringing up these young players, I mean, we're seeing it just the infusion of energy with Ellie De La Cruz. We've seen it with the infusion of energy from Matt McClain. It makes a difference. And as these young guys arrive, this team could win this division without having to make a trade. That would be great. That would be a bonus. That'd be icing on the cake. What this, what the Reds should do is continue to stay the course, continue doing that. Uh, you make the playoffs great. You don't. That's fine. 2024 is the target. You go into this coming offseason. You identify areas where you don't have a prospect or a player that's ready. 
And then you go out and you sign a few guys in the offseason via free agency. Uh, we've seen what the Reds' financials look like. They've cut guaranteed money down so far that they could go <laughs> out this coming offseason and get an extra reliever, get a fifth starter, get whatever it is that they need to fill out the roster to compete in 2024. I think trading anybody right now would be a tremendous mistake. I get why people are so excited. It's been a long time since the Reds have been relevant in June. And it makes you want to just push them along that much farther, get them to go for it. But going for it right now in the long term is detrimental to the team. And I think the the other point to this is, sure, you probably could make a trade and go for it this year. But with the talent that the Reds have, they're set up to compete for years to come, starting Really, I mean, who knows? Maybe everything catches fire and the window actually begins to open this year. Like we were hoping the window begins to open next year, but it's starting to look like there is a small chance, teeny, teeny, tiny chance that that window begins to crack open this year. So I I don't think that you need to torpedo the long-term plan here. And I know that people have absolutely dragged this quote through the mud, but this is where Nick Kroll's idea of getting rid of peaks and valleys really comes into play because they're setting themselves up that they're going to get at a level and they're going to consistently be at that high level for years. And if you trade away a couple of those guys and start to damage the amount of talent that is coming up in a certain wave of talent, then I really think you kind of get rid of that. I, I think that what we can expect is what the Baltimore Orioles did last year. I think there were a lot of people from the outside, especially that watched the Baltimore Orioles. And they said, boy, this team, we didn't expect them to be here. Look how good they are. And if they just made this one trade and if they just did this, and if, if they went out and they got this guy and then they traded away Trey Mancini and they traded away their closer. Now the reds aren't going to do anything that dramatic. They might trade away like Kevin Newman or something like that, but not a lot of guys that they have set up to be able to trade this year have really shown the value that they are worth trading for anything right now. And so I don't think that we're seeing anything big, but if we see a move by the Reds, it's most likely going to be to sell off a guy who's not going to be, you know, an integral part of this team moving forward. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Jeff. And you know what? That's probably a great place to go ahead and wrap it up for today. But before we get out of here, don't forget, you can catch every pitch of the Reds' hometown broadcast as Graham Ashcraft goes up against Clayton Kershaw to uh, secure a sweep, we hope. Uh, you can catch every pitch on SiriusXM with the SXM app. Just download the app and search the word Reds. It's a beautiful three-game win streak, Steve. And that is how we're going to wrap up today's edition of the Locked On Reds podcast. Thanks, everybody, for always making us your first listen every day. Every day is coming up tomorrow on the show. How the Reds shake for a uh, series in St. Louis. We're going to tell you all about that as we get you set for three games uh, out by that arch thingy that they like to talk about a whole lot. Uh, but that's going to do it for us here today. Steve, as we move on, the Reds continue to creep toward 500. They continue to creep toward the wild card, the top of the NL Central. So what's that mean for you and me? That means we're watching the transactions, we're listening for the rumors, we're keeping tabs on CES, and we're gathering up all that information and bringing it right back here to keep everyone locked on Reds every single day. 10.32 seconds. I would collapse. Someone would have to give me oxygen. Yeah, I'd trip, I think. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.